Well, welcome to Epic. My name is Jake Snowden. I am the group's lead here at Epic. And thank you so much for being here with us today. And if you are joining us online, thank you so much for worshiping online with us today. Well, today we are going to be wrapping up our Unbelievable series. This is a series that, that we began back on Palm Sunday. And, and over the past few weeks, we've seen how uh, God just makes the unbelievable believable. We saw the unbelievable uh, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then over the past few weeks, we've seen this unbelievable emergence of a church that never should have survived. I mean, think about it. Their their leader was crucified. The disciples were fearful and they scattered. And then as they began to profess their faith even a little bit, they started to experience persecution on just cataclysmic levels. But yet here we are today, gathered together as the church. It is only through the grace and the mighty power of God that we can be here today. He makes the unbelievable believable, amen? And so as we wrap up the series today, we're gonna focus on one of the most unbelievable aspects of Christianity, and that is that you and I are included. We're actually invited to be part of the family of God. And the title of today's message is Unbelievable Inclusion. And no matter what your past, no matter what your upbringing, no no matter your race, your ethnicity, you are included And you are invited to be a part of the family of God. You see, for many people, that can be difficult for them to believe, to believe that God would include them. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard over my life, how many times I've heard someone say, well, God can't love me because of, and fill in the blank, because of my past, because you don't know how bad I've been, because you don't know the evil thoughts I've had or the evil things that I've done. And if you only hear one thing today, I want you to hear this, is that no matter what your past, God is madly in love with you. God loves you despite your past. You know, in fact, it is because of your past, because we have all sinned, because we have done something that created this separation from God, that God was willing to step in on our behalf. And God sent his son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to suffer and die and to pay our debt penalty. It's because of Jesus that everyone can be included in the family of God. And so as we start off today, I have a question for you. Does anybody have something in their past that they're not proud of? I should see every hand go up right now, right? And for you at home too, go ahead and raise your hand. You don't need to type in the comments what that is, but, but raise your hand, right? We all have something that we're not proud of, right? Now, when I ask the question, your mind could have gone to so many different places, right? It could have been an embarrassing moment in your life that you had absolutely no control over. It could have been some secret sin in your past that nobody knows about. Or maybe there was a moment in your life where someone really needed you to step up and you failed them, you let them down. Or maybe you thought about some of your past decisions based on uh, things that, ways that you acted, what you wore, how you dressed, uh, for those of you who grew up in the 80s and 90s, do you have any regrets based on your hairstyle or some of the things you wore? I'm judging by your laughter that you're agreeing with me on that, right? And there's, when I think of my past, there's some things that I'm definitely not proud of. For instance, back in my early 20s, this might be hard to envision, but back in my early 20s, I had a bleached blonde afro. This was like mid to late 90s. Everybody was bleaching their hair. I wasn't the only one doing it. But I had this giant bleached blonde afro. I was serving in student ministries, and all of the, the guy students thought I was the coolest. They thought I was awesome. In fact, even the, the other guy leaders thought I was pretty cool. You know who didn't think I was cool? 
any of the females my age. Yep, not one of them. Not one of them thought that was cool. In fact, I'm so glad I decided to get rid of that bleach blonde afro by the time I met Julie, because I'm convinced she probably would not have, uh, that probably wouldn't have gone well. So anyway, we all, we all have things that we regret from our past. You know who else had a bleach blonde afro? Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, this guy. Yeah, vote for Pedro. So yeah, I was in that company. So they say, they also say you can know a lot about a person by the music they listen to. Actually, I don't know if they say that, but just, just go with me for a moment here. Who remembers, raise your hand if this is you, who remembers Columbia House? This is, this is not a coffee, this is not a coffee company, not a coffee house, but you remember Columbia House, right? If you grew up in the 80s and the 90s, you probably remember Columbia House because you could not pick up a magazine without their ad falling out on top of you, right? And they would do these crazy promotions where you could get, I'm not making this up, you could get 13 CDs for a penny. 13 CDs for a penny, that's crazy. And then you didn't even have to join. You could quit within your first 30 days and you had 13 CDs. Well, back when I joined for the first time, I was in fifth grade and uh, CDs weren't out yet. You had cassette tapes. Who remembers cassette tapes, right? And so you could get a whopping four cassettes for a dollar. And so I did. I signed up for Columbia House. I got my four cassettes and then I canceled my membership instantly so I wasn't on the hook for a monthly membership. And I remember my four first cassettes. And I'm going to be vulnerable with you today. I'm going to open up a side of my past that I'm not real proud of. And if you're, if you're watching online, you can play too. If you want to type in one of your embarrassing cassettes, go ahead. You can type that in. That'll be fun for us later. So album number one, Millie Vanilli. Millie Vanilli, right? Girl, you know it's true. Blame it on the rain, rain, rain. Remember that time they, it just kept skipping and they got in a whole bunch of trouble for lip syncing on stage? That was, that was one of my cassettes. Album number two, picture this. Little white boy, fifth grade, Tone Loke. What was I thinking? Funky, cool, Medina, wild thing? That doesn't even make sense for me. All right, album number three, Chicago's Greatest Hits. Okay, there's some fans out there. But put that in the picture of a, of a fifth grade boy. If you, Chicago is the perfect band. If you've gone through a breakup and you never, ever, ever, ever want to get over your ex, <laughs> that is the band for you. But as a fifth grade boy, that, that didn't make sense to me. I don't even know why I would have, I probably heard one song and was like, I've heard of them. Okay, I'll pick that. Uh, but here, so for me, I feel like I'm batting over three right here. Okay, but this one I think saved it. Album number four was U2, Rattle and Hum. I love you two, even to this day, you know, Bono, The Edge. So I felt like there was a little bit of saving grace in there. So my taste when it comes to music as a fifth grader, you know, not all that to be proud of. Now, hopefully as you get older, you learn from maybe your mistakes, you get a little bit more mature. So I tried Columbia House again when I was in eighth grade, and hopefully my music taste got a little bit better here. This time we had CDs. I remember my first CD I picked was Tom Petty, Wild Flowers. I think that's a great album. Uh, Weezer, the blue album, love that album. Every song that is so good. Pearl Jam, Vitalogy, and then one of my favorite albums of all time, Oasis, What's the Story, Morning Glory, uh, Wonderwall, uh, Roll With It, Don't Look Back in Anger. My kids will sing those songs with me today when we're driving. And so I feel like I did a lot better as I got older. And hopefully that's the case in your life. As you get older and you mature, hopefully you start to make better decisions along the way. Well, as you look back, I'm sure we all have things in our life that we're not very proud of. We've all made decisions that we wish we could take back and have a do-over. There might be some people in this room today who feel like maybe you've made so many poor decisions throughout your life that God could never use you or that God could never love you. 
I'm here to tell you today that today's message is a message of hope, if you're feeling that, because what I want to tell you today is that your story is not over yet. You see, last week we looked at the life of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. And while Stephen was being stoned to death, the accusers who were hurling the stones at Stephen, they, they, the accusers, they put their, their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And in Acts 8, verse 1, it says that Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, so far throughout the the book of Acts, the author has focused primarily on the ministry uh, through the early church as it was happening in Jerusalem, and that centered around uh, the apostles, Peter and and John. And although Peter is going to continue on in his ministry, the narrative in Acts is going to take a change here, and it's going to begin to follow primarily the life of this man named Paul. Now, Paul, he's going to go on to write 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. He's going to plant churches all across Asia Minor and Greece. He's going to speak before the most powerful religious leaders and kings. He's going to heal the sick, raise the dead. He's going to be stoned and left for dead. But before God is able to do any of this through Paul, Paul's got some things in his past that he's not proud of. You see, before Paul is Paul, Paul is Saul. And here in Acts chapter 8, Saul is approving the murder of Stephen. And it gets much worse than that. Saul is not just going to be a witness to a murder, but in Acts 8, 3, it says, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app today, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. And as you make your way there, I just want to let you know that whatever it is in your past that you're not proud of, whatever it is that makes you say, God can't use me because of, this is the real message of hope for you today. So Acts 9, beginning of verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. In verse Verse 2, he says, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So I don't know how bad your past looks, but I would be willing to bet that nobody in this room today, that nobody at home watching online, I'd be willing to bet that none of us have been in a position where we took the time to go to the authorities to get permission so we could come and drag men and women out of their homes, put them in chains, and hopefully that that they're going to be punished, a capital punishment, for believing in Jesus. Now what Saul doesn't know, as he goes and makes this request, he, he takes some temple police with him, and he puts this plan together. He's like, let's go to Damascus because I hear there's a lot of Christ followers there. It's easy pickings. So we're going to go up to Damascus. We're going to arrest all these people and hopefully give them their death sentence. But what Saul doesn't know is he's headed out with his mission on this road to Damascus is that his life is about to be changed forever. He's heading to Damascus to persecute and to kill Christ followers But God has another plan in mind for Saul. Now, in the 1800s, there was a man by the name of Alfred. And this man, Alfred, he he, uh, invented dynamite. He sold dynamite to, to many different nations. And some of the nations would use the dynamite in a positive way. They would use it to clear roads uh, for tunnels and and roadways. But some of these nations would take that invention, dynamite, and they would use it for evil, to kill thousands of people. 
One day, Elford got up and he did what we all do in the morning. He checked his, his Facebook and his Instagram. And back in the 1800s, they just called that the newspaper. And so he's going through the newspaper and he comes across something rather interesting. He's flipping through the obituaries and he comes across an obituary with his name in it. Now, that shouldn't be possible. You should never have to see your own obituary, right? Because you shouldn't see that until you have left this earth, until you're dead. But the, the, the newspaper company had made an error. It was supposed to be his brother who had passed just a few days prior. But not only did it have his name in there, but it had all of his information. And this is what the obituary read. It said, the merchant of death is dead. You're never supposed to see your own obituary. But because Alfred's not dead, he's reading this obituary and he realizes this is his legacy. He's forever going to be known as the merchant of death. So he called his attorney. He was contemplating suing the newspaper company over defamation of character. But then it occurred to him, you know what? The newspaper company was right. So instead of suing the newspaper company, Alfred decided to change his legacy. So for the last 10 years of his life, he took all of his earnings, all of his profits uh, from, from this dynamite, and he put it into a trust fund. And he said, every year, I want to be remembered as someone who brought peace into the world and not destruction. So he, he, he gave this name, this trust fund a name. He named it after his last name, Nobel. And he said, I want to give an award to every person who does something peaceful for our planet. I'm going to call it the Nobel Peace Prize. 1904, since 1904, 954 individuals and 27 organizations have won the Nobel Peace Prize. Alfred Nobel decided it was not too late to change his legacy. You see, he believed that every person ought to have the chance to correct their obituary in midstream and write a new one. Aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus allows us to rewrite our legacy? It doesn't matter how awful your past. It doesn't matter how great your sin. My sin was great, but his love was greater. So what's your story? What is your legacy? You know, even the most basic story has at least three parts. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. And I don't know where you are in your story today, but I do know that if you're not dead, then God's not done. And so on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul is the merchant of death. We all have our own road to Damascus. We're all headed somewhere with our own agenda, and we're not looking back. But look what happens when God intersects your path with his plan. Acts 9, 3 to 6. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Let me tell you a little bit more about Saul. Saul was actually a religious man. In fact, from a very young age, he studied under Gamaliel, who was one of the most respected leaders of his day. And the reason that Saul approved of the killing and the arresting of all these Christ followers wasn't that because he hated God. No, it was because Saul loved God and he thought that he was doing God a favor because he thought that all the Christ followers were guilty of blasphemy. And so he thought he was helping God out. But now Saul has a supernatural encounter on the road to Damascus as Jesus shows up, and everything that Saul thought he knew, he realizes, man, maybe I don't know it all. 
Because here, Jesus is saying that I'm persecuting him where all along I thought I was helping God out. And so Jesus intersects Paul on this road to Damascus. And Jesus says, I see that there is more for you. Instead of persecuting the church, I want to use you to plant churches. Instead of tearing down Christ followers with your words, I want to use you to, I want to use you to teach Christ followers. And Paul would go on to write so many books of encouragement throughout the New Testament. In verse 7, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so he can see again. In verse 13, Ananias replies, But Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and the kings as well as to the people of Israel. So why does God choose Saul anyway? I mean, he already had Peter, right? Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who's going around healing people. He, his boldness is back. He's teaching in the name of Jesus. He already had Peter and John, the other apostles. Why does God choose Saul? Well, see, Saul, Saul represents something. Saul represents those who are caught up in religion and in their own self-righteousness. Now, near the end of his life in Acts 26, Paul is giving his testimony before King Agrippa. And listen to what he says. This is Acts 26, 4. He says, As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they would know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. So Saul... He represents those who are caught up in religion. But Saul also represents this. He represents those who are blind to the hurt that they're causing others. Acts 26.9, it goes on to say, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. This is Paul. This is Paul. This is what God chooses Paul because he represents those who are self-righteous, those who think they, could, they can figure out on their own good works. He uses Paul because Paul was the one who was so busy persecuting the church. Paul says, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. Later on in 1 Timothy, this is what Paul would say about himself. He would say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. And the question really isn't, why does God choose Saul? I think the real question is, why does God choose any of us? Why does God choose any of us? God is going to take Saul, someone who is so fixated on religion and on observing the Mosaic law, and he's going to send him to the Gentiles. 
And to really see the impact of this, I want to give you just a little bit of context concerning the Jews and Gentiles. This goes way back to Genesis. Way back in Genesis, God made a covenant with Abraham's descendants, a people who would become known as the Jews. And the Gentiles, the Gentiles were anybody who was not a Jew. And it meant that they were alienated from the privilege of being God's chosen people. The Gentiles were often referred to as heathens, outsiders, uncircumcised. And the Jews were set apart from God's chosen people, and the Gentiles were not. The Jews, as you can imagine, they kind of lorded this over the Gentiles. They kind of felt like, we're God's chosen people, and you're not. And this caused a tension. It caused hatred and hostility between these two groups, including racial and religious tension. Now, it was never God's intention to cause hostility by choosing Israel to be his people. It was actually God's intention that through choosing them, he would bless this people and he would use them to be a blessing to all nations. But I love the irony here is God is gonna take Paul, this man. He's gonna take the most rigorous, the most devout Jew, a well-educated and trained Pharisee, and God is gonna send him to the Gentiles, to a people that they would have considered unclean and unworthy and their enemies. And God is going to use Paul to be the catalyst, to be his chosen instrument, to teach the Gentiles and to let them know that because of Jesus, they are now included as heirs and as members of God's family. Acts 26, 17 says, and I will rescue you both from your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. If you're following along in your Bible, let's go ahead and flip over to Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians chapter two, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And Paul does an incredible job explaining that through salvation, that Gentiles are no longer alienated, but are now included as members of God's family. So here we are in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Without Christ, the Gentiles were alienated, but now in Christ, they've been included. As it says in verse 13, they were far away, but now they have been brought near. How is it possible for the Gentiles who were once alienated from God to now be included as heirs? Well, you see, when Christ died on the cross and rose again, the Gentiles, they became reconciled to God. They experienced a change in their relationship they went from hostility to harmony. They went from foreigners to family. And here's the great news for all of us today, is that the blood of Jesus Christ, it pardons us. The blood of Jesus Christ pardons us. Christ is our pardon. We don't deserve to be pardoned from our sins, but we can be pardoned by the blood of Jesus, 
that was shed on our behalf. Now this pardon, it's an incredible gift. And and to really kind of put it in context of what a pardon is, imagine that you have a death sentence. And and you know that in the morning, you are being executed. And, And what a pardon would be, a word would come in and say, oh, by the way, you no longer have to receive that sentence. The sentence that you deserve, you no longer have to receive that. But imagine being in that situation. You're like, no, I'm good. I deserve it. I'm going to take, you know. And this pardon, it is a gift. But, But a gift is only good if what? You receive it. So just because Christ offered this gift, it's now our responsibility to, we have the choice. We can accept this free gift or we can reject this gift, but we have all been pardoned. And Christ is not only our pardon, he's also our peace. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2, 14 to 15, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. In these verses, Paul, he's talking about the peace that Christ brings to the Jews and Gentiles. In verse 14, Paul says that Christ has united Jews and Gentiles, two groups who are enemies, who are hostile toward each other, He unites them into one people. They now have unity and there's no room for division because of Christ. Now this division, this would have been seen very clearly in the temple. When the temple was standing, it had a wall that partitioned off the court of the Gentiles from the areas accessible only to the Jews. There was such a division between the Jews and Gentiles that even their worship was segregated. The Gentiles could not worship in the same place as the Jews. However, this wall no longer exists, neither physically nor spiritually. When Jesus died on the cross, that wall of separation was destroyed. Jews and Gentiles have equal access to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our pardon. Jesus Christ is our peace. And Jesus Christ is also our possession. Let's read Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Because Christ is our possession, God has granted us citizenship. We are no longer aliens. We're no longer foreigners, but we are now citizens of heaven. Heaven is our new home because we are members of God's family. You know, if you've ever been struggling with who you are or trying to figure out your identity, and that might be difficult because you're taking your identity and you're thinking about things in your past, if for using Paul as an, as an example, his past was Saul, a murderer of Christ followers. And maybe you're clinging on to your past is your identity. But here we, we have a new story. When we accept the sacrifice, the free gift that Jesus made on our behalf, and we accept that, we now have a new identity. 
We become a son. We become a daughter. We become a child of God. We're welcomed into the family. Because of Jesus, we all have the opportunity to share in this unbelievable inclusion. Because of Jesus, everyone can be included in the family of God. When you accept Jesus to be the Lord of your life in an instant, you go from foreigners to family, from darkness to light, from death to life. I want to finish off the story here of Saul's conversion. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, after Saul was blinded by his encounter with Jesus, Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. You know, a few weeks ago, Here at Epic Church, we had 37 people who got baptized. And yeah, (laughs) you can clap for that. That was awesome. That was was an awesome day. And then the great thing is every single one of those baptisms, it is a story. It is a story of how somebody went from death to life, of how they were walking down their own road to Damascus with their own agenda, had their own plans, but then God showed up and intersected them on their path and said, I have something else for you. I have another plan for you. I have another identity for you. You no longer need to be held and chained to your past. I want to welcome you into my family. It was so awesome. It was a beautiful day just baptizing 37 people there. And over the past couple of days, um, we, a lot of those people have been getting together with our media team and have been filming their stories. And they're going to be stories that we share with you throughout the year. But right now, I just want to take a moment and I want to show you a video, just a recap video from that baptism that happened just a few weeks ago. Watch these screens. Well, that is just awesome to see. I just love kind of reliving that moment again, you know. And for for those of you who were baptized just a few weeks ago, um, we probably told you that day, but we want to say it again. Congratulations, you know, to be able to show your church family and your friends and family who came out there and supported you that you are not who you once were, that God is doing something new in your life, that he's taking you from your past and he's saying, I don't care about that. I paid for that. Don't identify with that any longer, but I want you to now identify with me. And when we get baptized, it's just a symbol that the baptism doesn't save us, but we're symbolically identifying with God, that we are members of his family. And when we go down and you're baptized in the water, it's symbolizing the death and the resurrection because in our lives, we are putting to death our old way, our old sins, everything that used to keep us captive. And we're now going to be, when we come up out of that water, it's symbolically saying that I am made alive and I am made new in you. And so welcome to the family. We're going to do another baptism this summer. We'll do another one in the the fall. There's plenty of opportunities. If you've never been baptized, start praying about it now. We'd love to celebrate with you the next time we do a baptism. But I want to ask you this morning, where are you at in your story right now? Are you at the beginning you at the middle? Are you kind of on the, the end of your story? I love the sign that everybody's holding up there at the end is they took their next step. What's that next step for you to take in your walk with Christ? What's that next step for you to take in your walk with Christ? See, just like Saul, we don't have to stay there. 
when Jesus shows up, we can change. Paul would go from persecuting the church to planting churches, from torturing Christians to teaching Christ followers. Imagine what God can do through you. Imagine the legacy that God has planned for you. Maybe you're still in the beginning phase of your story and you're saying to yourself, well, it was easy for Paul, a light shone down from heaven. So if a light ever shines down from heaven and blinds me, then maybe I'll think about letting God get a hold of me. Well, my response to that is, is maybe through gathering here on campus today or maybe through watching online today, maybe the light is going off as you've been hearing the word because in Psalms 119, it refers to the, the word as a lamp. The word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And so maybe that lamp is going off for you today. Like God is speaking to me today. God's trying to get a hold of me. God has something for me. He has a new legacy for me. Maybe it's making sense for the first time. And you're saying, you know what? Man, I, I really want that. I want to be included in the family of God. I want to go from death to life today. I want to tell you it's not too late to change your story. It's not too late to change your legacy. I want to lead you in a prayer. And if that's you, I want to, this is going to be an invitation for you to say, that's me today. And so all across the room, if you can bow your head and close your eyes. If you feel that there's a tugging on your heart, that might be the light that's blinding you right now that's saying, you need to let go of your past. You need to say, wait, say yes to what God has for you. So if that's you this morning, you want to make that decision to let Jesus be the Lord of your life, just go ahead and raise your hand real quick. Let me see you raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? Thank you. I see those hands. Another one? Last chance, anyone else? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can say this prayer. You can whisper it right where you're at. It's not so much that you're, there's no magic in this prayer. It's, it's really in your heart. It's what you believe in your heart. But just repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know there's things in my past that I'm not proud of. And I'm sorry. I want to live a new life. I want you to come into my life. I want you to rewrite my story. I give my life to you today, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. You know, it says that every time a sinner says that prayer, that the angels in heaven are rejoicing. So why don't we rejoice with the angels right now? Let's give it up for everybody who made that decision right now for the first time. Church, it's so good that we have a God who loves us, who wants to save us and who wants us all to be a part of his family. And so if, if that was you today, 
the five or six of you who I saw hands go up, I'd love to spend just a few minutes with you after service. I'm going to be out there in the lobby, and I've got a, a book that I'd like to get into your hand. It kind of is just, it's a resource to help you kind of figure out those next steps of what to do now that you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. So meet me out there. You can find me. If, if you can't get to me, they've also got the books at the connection table. Just stop by there and say, I said that prayer today. And, and we'd love to have just a short conversation with you. But right now, church, let's just stand together. Let's stand and worship together. Let's just give God a huge praise for including all of us in the family of God. Let's sing.